Let's do it. Hello, everyone. I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. And I'm Amy Scott, in for Kai Rizdahl. Thanks for joining us on this Thursday, March 30th. So today we're going to unpack some of the news of the day and get smiley by the end. So, uh, Kimberly, you want to get started? I mean, there's a whole section of the internet that's already smiley uh, if you were to yeah, good point. your uh, social media site of your pleasure. Um, and that is because there was news just a little bit ago when we were recording this that reportedly, according to sources familiar and sources close to the trial, that Donald Trump has indeed been indicted for um, payments for crimes related to payments of Stormy Daniels during the 2016 presidential election. This idea that he or his associates paid her to keep silent, which would have been election interference. And yeah, it's one of several criminal probes. I should say that this indictment has not been unsealed yet. This is sources and, uh, you know, there's always stuff that could change, but it's a huge deal. First president to ever be formally indicted. And there's already a lot of angry people on social media. I'm seeing reports about conversations on Telegram and, and Truth Social of Trump supporters uh, saying that they are going to fight back and uh, potentially organizing some pretty hostile reactions to this. Yeah, I was in New York last week when they were expecting this to come down. And, you know, I was at the United Nations uh, mm -hmm. and my mom was was like, please stay away from any protests. It didn't happen, but who knows what's going to happen the next couple of days. As you said, we don't really know the details yet. We don't know what the charges are, uh, but it is related to to these um, this hush money payment for which Michael Cohen, uh, Trump's former personal attorney, has already uh, done some prison time. So Mm -hmm. Interesting to watch. We'll probably have a little more to say tomorrow when there's more detail. You know, if there is more detail, I mean, you have a link to a really useful article from the Washington Post that sort of walks through step by step what happens after a grand jury investigation, which is the stage that we're yeah. at right now. The grand jury investigation either leads to an indictment or not. Um, if there is indeed an indictment, then there's the option of Trump voluntarily surrendering or potentially getting arrested. But we're probably a little bit away from that. And we may not even see the unsealed, you know, charges for another step or two, although given the public interest around this case, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, once Trump's lawyers get a hold of them, they make them public if, you know, this is indeed happening. But um, certainly not what Republicans would love for the public to be paying attention to at this point. And mm -hmm. also given the hold that Trump has on the GOP base as they are trying to sort of distance themselves from some of the more uh, extreme elements of the party. This is not great time timing for the GOP, of course. Um, but on the other hand, this, you know, it's been so interesting given all of the other, you know, things that Trump has been accused of doing that we know that he did, the thing that has gotten him into the most legal jeopardy, as seems to always be the case with scandals, is the money. You know, we were yeah. talking about this on Slack. You know, you can have whatever scandal you want, but when it comes to the money and the IRS and 
campaign finance laws, that's where you can really get in trouble. Yeah, and it's often because that's the easiest thing to prove, right? It's a little bit harder mm -hmm. to prove, you know, incitement of an insurrection, perhaps, than, um, yeah. you know, something with well, a paper trail. Well, and it's easier to peg that to a specific crime, you know, as right. opposed to, right. yeah, all the other right. things. I'm sure people will hear but about you're right. this money talks. <laughs> money talks. Money also gets you in jail. Uh, all right, but we had a whole other plan for the show and other <laughs> yeah, stories we, other we wanted to talk, want to about talk about before this came down this afternoon. So, Amy, why don't you go with yours first? Yeah, well, I'll try to keep it short. But one thing I wanted to point out was the Wall Street Journal reported today that the U.S. government is considering adding a question to the census and other federal forms asking black Americans whether their ancestors were enslaved. And supporters of this change say one reason to do this would be to determine eligibility for potential reparations for slavery, you know, something that has been gaining traction uh, in the last few years, especially in some cities, including Evanston, Illinois, and recently San Francisco that is debating uh, significant reparations. And the the proponents of the change also argue that the experience of descendants of enslaved Africans in America is different than, say, people whose families came here more recently as immigrants from Africa and the Caribbean. But right now, the, the question lumps them all together. Um, and research, you know, by the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis and others has shown that Black Americans whose ancestors were enslaved don't fare as well in this economy in terms of wealth and education as more recent arrivals. Uh, this is just one of several changes the Biden administration is considering on the race category of the census. It's also looking at adding a new category for Americans of Middle Eastern or North African heritage, uh, no longer having Hispanic or Latino as a separate question, but one of several choices under the larger race category. And uh, the, the White House's Office of Management and Budget, which is overseeing this overhaul is uh, soliciting public comment. So I thought that was pretty interesting. You know how I love a good public comment, regulations.gov, yo. <laughs> Go on there. Let's so interesting to read through, yeah. Actually, I, I, Kai was making fun of me for this last week. I actually find it very fascinating to read through the public comments on regulations.gov. Totally. Because, you know, these are people often who feel the most passionately about things. And some of the stories that you'll get, I remember I was looking at regulations around sort of making it easier for smaller meatpacking facilities to mm. operate um, in the pandemic as a result of um, inflation. They were trying to bring down meat prices by allowing smaller meat producers and packers to operate a little bit easier. And there were all these stories hmm. from like these small family butchers that have been struggling to keep their businesses open for generations. You know, they've had these businesses for generations and are really struggling to keep these small you know, community butchers open and they're like, this would really help us out. Never would have known hmm. about it otherwise. So yeah, regulations.gov for the win. Uh, okay, All right, what you got? My, yes, my story is about eggs, which is interesting, because I actually don't like eggs. And it's, it's a thing. <laughs> um, but it is good timing, how, though, Easter and all. You know what? Yes, it is indeed. Although I should say, 
that the decorating of eggs uh, around springtime actually predates Christianity. And when I was living in Egypt, they have this holiday called Shamanassim, um, mm. and they decorate eggs then, and they they trace it back actually to pharaonic times of there being wow. records of eggs being decorated. And I'm now I'm going to have to look up an article about this. Um, but anyway, that was not what I wanted to talk about with eggs. Sorry. The <laughs> didn't mean to hijack. Just eggs are on the mind. That's okay. The <laughs> yes. The largest US producer of eggs saw its revenue double in the last quarter and its profits went up by 718%. Holy cow. 700 and 18%. Uh, (laughs) Everybody who looks at this was expecting a jump in revenue and profit, but that is just astonishing and comes at a time when food inflation is very high, people are really struggling, and egg prices have been one of these measures that people are like, oh my gosh, how are these becoming so expensive? And they're getting a lot of heat right now saying that they're basically price gouging. Now, one of the oh reasons gosh. that's been cited for the increase in egg prices has been you know, outbreaks of avian flu at various places. However, this company says that they did not have any outbreaks of avian flu. And they control 20% of the U.S. um, egg market. So I'm reading directly from their press release. Outbreaks in commercial poultry flocks in the U.S. have most recently occurred during March 2023. There have been no positive tests for HPAI, which is a disease, at any of CalMaine Foods' owned or contracted production facility as of March 28, 2023. The company is working closely with federal, state, and local government officials and focused industry groups to mitigate the risk of future outbreaks and effectively manage a response. So the thing that supposedly drove up the prices in eggs did not actually affect this company. But as they also say in their press release is they tend to price their eggs based on what the market rate for the eggs is. So these Mm -hmm. other companies having a shortage drives up the price and that's what they use to set the price because they still had eggs. And you know, this is how capitalism works. You price things based on supply and demand according to what the market will bear. And Sorry, hit the mic. And people still want to eat eggs, and there are things that have to have eggs. And so the market bore the additional price, and they were able to reap in exceptional profits. I have to imagine we are going to hear Elizabeth Warren and her fellows in Congress who have been uh, complaining about corporate price gouging in uh, Mm -hmm. this moment, which I'm not saying it is. I'm saying this is how capitalism works. But, you know, this is comes at a time when people are really struggling and with food inflation. And I just, it's not often that you hear 718% profit. I'm just saying. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And eggs, you know, historically have been a source of fairly cheap protein for a lot of families. And, um, yeah, it does. Not I mean, cheap. a lot of the questions about inflation what's driving it you know um this is an example i think of how companies could charge less uh 
why would they? Well, and this gets to the interview that you were doing yesterday about sort of who gets blamed for inflation, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, if you missed this interview, it was about how the very poor benefit from tight labor markets, uh, because that's when people who may otherwise be on the fringes of the market um, uh, are become more attractive to employers who are really looking for workers. And, uh, and the idea that higher wages is driving up inflation is a, is a very popular theory. Um, but the, the but authors pointed out there are like lots this. of other things. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. Well, with that optimistic take, it's probably about time for some smiles. I have to admit, Yay, Amy, smiles. when I saw the headline... Like I saw this story that you have go past, go past, hello, well, but I <laughs> race. I past. didn't, I, yeah, I thought I must have misread it, but I guess not. I know it's so funny. And I have to give a shout out to Livy Burdett for finding this one today. She's one of our PM producers. Um, so Lamborghini just announced its first plug-in hybrid supercar, the Lamborghini Revuelto. Um, which, according to Revuelto. End Gadget, translates to scrambled. I mean, I guess that's my understanding of the Spanish word revuelto. But anyway. Oh, um, I don't know. I just thought yeah. it was a cool sounding word. <laughs> well, it does sound cool. But Lamborghini, aren't they Italian? I don't know. Anyway, revuelto is the name. Um, so <laughs> this is what made me smile because it's a hybrid, uh, but the battery part only lasts 6.2 miles. <laughs> So if on you actually want to go somewhere, charge. <laughs> on a full charge, 6.2 miles, which will get you maybe, you know, to the gas station to fill up the gas part of the car. Uh, though the the story points out that that battery actually charges very quickly uh, with the combustion engine um, in just six minutes <laughs> uh, via regenerative braking on the front wheels. So, you know, that's why you have a, a hybrid at this point. That battery's not going to get you very far, but I thought that was pretty amusing. It's kind of like, what's the point then? Yeah, it's not like you're worried about fuel economy on your Lamborghini. <laughs> yeah. I once interviewed, total aside, a Lamborghini dealer <laughs> in Greenwich, Connecticut, and I was driving my husband's, like, ancient Toyota Corolla, <laughs> and I'm so ashamed of myself, but I parked down the street, so I didn't have to like, walk into Aww. this Lamborghini dealer, like, with my rusted-out car. And then it turned out the guy, totally nice guy, who used to be a Toyota dealer, so it would have been no problem at all. But that's my experience with the Lamborghini. Maybe he would have gotten you a deal on a new paint job or something. I know you would never do <laughs> we that. We could have used it. Be against our ethics policy, I know. That's right. Um, <laughs> So uh, my story comes from Huffington Post, well, via the AP. It's the AP story. It's on Huffington Post because that's the side I saw it on. Uh, there's yeah. a man in Japan who is Seichi Sano, I believe is how they say his name. And he is 89 years old and surfing. And he took up surfing relatively recently and was saying how he plans to keep surfing until he's a hundred and he has been recognized by guinness world records as the oldest male to surf next up he's saying he might try out bouldering um but he's <laughs> not gonna do bungee jumping which full full agree that seems not 
useful, but I may still end up doing it at some point because why not? Anyway, I thought it was just really cool because um, I like to try out new skills and sometimes I get discouraged because I'm not very good at them, even when I try to do something new. And it's nice to see people who are older starting new things and sticking with it and trying them out and getting good at them or even just being average and enjoying it and just embracing the fact that you don't have to do something and be like the best at it. Sometimes just the doing of the thing is enough. And I like that. It made me smile. That's beautiful. I love that. I'm very impressed with this man. It's so cool. Did you say 89? He's 89. He's going to turn 90 this year. Well, obviously this year, but he's turning 90 soon. He says, um, you know, I can only say that I just enjoy myself and do what I want without stressing out. So if you try to be too good at it or think that you have to do it this way or that way, I think you lose the fun. I enjoy being swept up in the wave. I'm not a good surfer, so I call myself a small wave surfer out of respect for those who do surf well. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> on your lane. Just do it for fun. You don't have to be. I think we get so caught up in the if you're going to do something, you have to like be amazing at it. But I picked up ice skating a little bit this year, this winter, and I didn't get good at it, but nice. I stopped falling down. And that was enough for me. And it made me really happy. <laughs> I've never stopped falling down. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm impressed. Well, I'm sure I'll fall down again, but, you know, I'm able to make it around a, a couple times. The bruises eventually wore off. Anyway. Um, well, that's good. Try new things. Try new things. All right. I'm super excited because we are going to be back tomorrow, not only for Economics on Tap, but for our annual Cherry Blossom edition of Economics on Tap. We're going to get started at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. There's going to be Cherry Blossom inspired drinks. Amy, I know you've been doing your research. I'm excited to see what uh, you come with. And we're going to have some news and we're going to play a round of half full, half empty. So please do bring your A-plus cherry blossom cocktail or a mocktail game. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you hopefully on the YouTube live stream or if not, just when you listen to the podcast later. Can't wait. And until then, don't forget to send us your questions and comments. We love to get them. You can reach us at 508-UB-SMART and at makemesmart at marketplace.org. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Today's episode was engineered by Charlton Thorpe. Our intern is Antonia Barreras. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Marissa Cabrera is our acting senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. Cherry blossoms. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.